Hey guys, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Shivani. And I'm Mel, and today we are thrilled to have Susanna Welford with us. Uh, Susanna is the founder of two organizations that champion the political voice of young women in America. In spring of 2007, Susanna founded Running Start, which continues the work begun by the Women Under 40 Political Action Committee, which Susanna co-founded in 1999. Susanna previously worked in the Clinton White House and for Senator White Fowler. She received a JD from the University of Virginia School of Law in 1998 and is a 1990 graduate of Davidson College. And so we always like to start out uh, by asking our guests about some inflection points or pivots in their life that really led them to where they are today. Would you share a few with us? Wow, you're starting out with like the crux of everything. <laughs> it's like the story I usually save until last, but I'm happy to to start with it. Thank you. Um, yeah, so right before we started um, recording, we were talking about how college students often think there's just one path, one um, place where you're supposed to stay in a straight line in your career. And I did have that thought when I got out of uh, college, although I didn't exactly know what I wanted that line to be. And there was one thing I knew I didn't want to do, and that was go to law school because my father was a lawyer. I used to spend summers working uh, at his law firm, and I knew I didn't want to do that. <laughs> but after working in the Senate and then in the White House, I realized everybody who had an interesting job in D.C., it seemed, in politics, mm-hmm. they all had law degrees. So I went back to school in 1995 to go to University of Virginia Law School. And then after I left law school, I um, got a job with a a fabulous law firm. I loved this law firm. And so I thought that was going to be it. Like I'd gotten the job in the law firm and I was going to just continue on because you can stay at a law firm for like 30 years if you feel like it. (laughs) Absolutely. And I, so I was about three years married at that point and I decided that, um, well, we decided that that we would have children and I was nervous because law firms are not historically very friendly towards pregnant associates, but firm was actually great. Everything was fine until 9-11 happened. So I had my babies um, in July of 2000. Okay. And then um, a year and a half later, 9-11 struck and the firm's uh, finances just went through the floor and they started laying people off. And I got laid off from my job. And I have to say, I was really smug up until this point in life. Like I thought I'd figured it out. I was balancing work and family fine. And to get laid off by my law firm was just blindsiding. I Absolutely. mean, it was just, I can't tell you like how much it rocked my world. And honestly, I would not be doing what I'm doing today if that hadn't happened. I don't think I would have left the safety and comfort of the law firm to start, I mean, first I started a political action committee mm. and then a nonprofit. It's hard to do those things. And so the kick in the pants that I got was being laid off by the firm and all of a sudden having to really have this, you know, come to Jesus moment of what do I want to do with my life and what am I good at? And luckily I chose something that I am good at and that I really, really love. And so, you know, don't get laid off if you can help. Um, (laughs) But it really, sometimes you need that strike of lightning to get on the path you're supposed to be on. Absolutely. And to continue that thread of transition, um, a couple of the op-ed pieces that we've We've read, which you're an incredible writer, by the way, Uh, very much enjoyed uh, them, was that American society is in transition. And Mm -hmm. I think if you look around, be it on a college campus or in in any sort of environment, you notice that. Um, And so my question to you is that how how should we structure a college education? So specifically within our realm, it's Mm -hmm. it's a liberal arts education to really prepare students um, 
to face that transition and and to to really do so in in a properly proper way um and to to t- really get in front of that transition without feeling like you're you're um kind of drowning yeah i think you all are growing up in a much more difficult environment than than um i faced when i got out of college because there were lots of jobs and there were a lot of traditional jobs and you knew you'd kind of be safe getting into those things and now it seems like everybody's doing something different and they're doing it in different ways so i i think the best approach really is to make sure that your education is opening your mind to new ways of thinking about things to that you'll get a chance to to be with people who oppose your values, oppose the way you think about things. Because I really do think that progress in this country is going to come from actually getting together because we are so polarized right now. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the Democrats think the Republicans are not just wrong in their policy. They think they're evil. And I think the Republicans think the same thing about the Democrats right. and, and rural America versus urban America. We are so against each other right now. And I think that anything that your college professors can do to open your mind to the fact that there are many, many paths, there are many different ways of looking at things, you need to always be critically thinking and think, okay, well, so I disagree with her, but what's motivating her? Where is she coming from? What informs her decision? And really trying to be empathetic and understand. And I will talk about Running Start and my work with Running Start in a minute probably, but that's the way that we really inform all of our training with Running Start is we're bipartisan Mm -hmm. and we really put a huge emphasis on talking to people who are not like you so that you can kind of explode your mind a little bit and get to that place where nobody's the enemy. You just haven't figured out how to understand them yet. And so I'm curious when you talk about rural and urban America and yeah. looking at different places, obviously your organization works across the country and you've right. spoken across the world even. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, things are very different in other countries, but even in America, would you say that there's a different sense of how women behave and are treated oh, as leaders yeah. in New York City versus where you live in D.C. or in South Carolina where you, where you went to school? Yeah. What are those differences? Um, yes, North Carolina. I feel oh, like oh, I have North to Carolina. say that because anybody Davidson. who went to Davidson would be like, wait a minute. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I... I actually get to see a lot of this firsthand, not just from going out and speaking places, um, because, I mean, that's fascinating. Um, And we can talk about the international stuff, too, in a second, because that's probably the most interesting. But I feel like most people in America, they don't get outside of their bubble. We live, I mean, okay, perfect example. I live in D.C. I do not know, except for an Uber driver, anybody who voted for Trump. I mean, that's kind of remarkable. Like, my entire enormous circle or at least nobody who who actually admits to voting for Trump. Mm-hmm. And that that bubble is, we all believe the same things. We're all coming from the same place. We read the paper and we're like, can you believe those guys? And so I'm so lucky with Running Start that what we do is we bring people from the most disparate communities you've ever seen. Absolutely. And so we'll have a, um, a student from an Indian reservation. She's never been outside of the reservation. In fact, um, a couple of years ago, we had one student from an Indian reservation who missed her flight because she didn't get to the airport until half an hour before the flight because <laughs> she didn't know how it worked. Right. And then you have a young woman from New York City. She's grown up with parents who are incredibly powerful and um, and politically active. She's had every advantage in the world. And then you room those guys together. And seeing that is so 
it's I just don't think people get that opportunity very often. Maybe you guys do at college, and I'd be curious to to find out how much that happens um, here. But it it does what we're talking about. It makes people have to look at things from the other side. And we they give speeches at graduation about their roommate, and the roommate speeches are some of the the most emotional because people say, "When I first met this girl." I did not <laughs> want anything to do with her. I didn't think I would last a week. And now we're going to run each other's campaigns and we love each other, even though we're different political parties. That's so incredible. That's what I want. So Absolutely. And to take that um, to the, the scale, in one of the op-ed pieces that you published, uh, you, you mentioned, or it, it was on the concept of old girls club. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which, mm-hmm. which I thought was one particularly fitting for my own life um, as someone who's graduating very soon and, and, and entering an industry uh, in that industry being defense that is oh, more traditionally yeah. an old boys club. Um, and I noticed this from, you know, the time that I spent uh, in a couple of firms within that, where it, it very much is this concept of career progression that is, is sort of linked to the social activities outside of the workplace. Yeah. Um, and it's getting that golden ticket and that invite to that old boys club, which which seems to be what a lot of folks are are trying to pursue, um, but you don't see that same level of companionship, or I, I don't even think of companionship uh-huh. as the right word, um, but in terms of a, a unitary body within the female workers, um, where that same sort of career progression is is pursued. And so I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on that. I have so many thoughts on that. <laughs> I'm sure. So first, um, I think that there are two questions. One is how do you uh, get into the old boys network right. and then two how do we create an old girls network right. and so in terms of getting into the old boys network I have plenty of colleagues in DC who will say I um, stop drinking white wine and I just drink whiskey now because I want to hang with the guys or I took up golf mm. or and it's funny I mean I don't think there's anything wrong with that if, if that's going to give you entree into that world I just want to be sure you're doing it not as an act, but because you like doing those things right. and you're being authentic because I just don't think putting on that act of like, you know, I love going to strip clubs with the guys. <laughs> I don't think it's sustainable. Fair. And so I do think that um, in some ways, the bigger thing that we should be focusing on is trying to create this network of, of women where we have real support from women. We help each other to climb up the ladder, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And, you know, an unfortunate theme that I've seen in many, many trainings that I've done just, I mean, absolutely everywhere is that women say the least supportive people are the women, you know, men will support me, but, and men will be my mentors, but the women are competitive with me and they, they're not helpful. And that has to stop because until women see each other as allies, until we realize that, you know, helping Melanie succeed is going to be beneficial, not just to me, but to everybody, Mm -hmm. then we're not going to get very far. And so when I was coming up, women didn't have, like when I was in the law firm, we didn't have a woman's, um, support group, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. But now many law firms and every consulting firm that I know of, they all have these women's initiatives. And I think that that is helping. And so if once you you get out and find a a job in the defense industry, they don't have it, you should start it. Absolutely. And and it really should be about how can we help each other? How can we not just um, be friends and colleagues, but actually sponsor each other? And I... um, I love this idea of peer 
uh, sponsorship where mm-hmm. we're friends and I recommend you for a job or I feed you an opportunity. And then, you know, a couple months later, you, when somebody's like, we need somebody great for this. You're like, oh, Susanna would be good for this because we don't do it as much as men do. We're less transactional. And I think it's so important to, um, to realize that our relationships, they can be warm, loving relationships, but at the same time, further our business objective. Absolutely. And so to circle back with um, how you've tied that into your own organization, that philosophy, um, you really connect two goals that not everyone would consider necessarily related or one causing the other. Um, Campaigning and serving as a public official as an adult uh, must be much more demanding and certainly involve higher stakes than a student government position on campus. But Mm -hmm. how does your organization work to connect these two outcomes? And why do you think that one is so necessary or helpful to lead into the other? Yeah, right. So um, elect her, which I'm here on the Claremont McKenna campus to do our elector training today. And it is the goal is to get young women to think about running for student government. It's one of our most successful programs, even though it's one day long. And we sometimes on um, campuses will see a 20% jump in the number. Wow. And and there's several campuses who'd never been led by a woman that all of a sudden, like we do one in Jamaica. Mm. Um, and that campus, it's 80% female and they'd never had a female uh, president of the student body. And now they have for years, ever since we got there. So I love those stories. <laughs> That's incredible. So, But your story is, okay, if our main goal is to get more women into positions of power at the highest levels, what are we necessarily doing on college campuses? Exactly. And we also do a high school program. So we, um, we start actually young. go. <laughs> we start even younger. But so I, I looked years ago when I was starting Running Start at why women don't run for office because far fewer women run for office than men. I mean, it, men run for office in many multiples, what um, the number that women do. And there are a lot of obvious reasons, like no old girls club. Women tend to have less disposable income. And you know, it takes a lot of money to run. And then we tend to be less connected to the people with money and mm-hmm. to the traditional power structures. But none of those things were the real reason that women cited as why they didn't want to run. It all came back to... I think women should run, but not me, because I don't know enough. But, you know, my friend absolutely knows enough. We should get her to do it. But I see this at every single training when I ask people to raise their hand if if they've ever thought about it. And when I ask them why they didn't raise their hand, they say, well, I'm an introvert or I, that's not, that's uh, not something that I have the skills for. And so we're trying to start as early as possible getting women to understand that we desperately need women in power. We have to get women to share in leadership, not just here, obviously, but in the rest of the world as well. And that a big part of it is changing women's mindset to understand that um, power is something that, and leadership is something that we can be really, really good at, but we don't often see ourselves in that role. Right. And I, you know, it's a weird dynamic um, to to look at Claremont McKenna's campus, and I'm sure this resonates to other college campuses, where there is a actually a good amount of female representation within organizations on campus, um, and those tend to be specialized within a certain amount of fields or or clubs being specialized in different activities. And you do see just incredible women leading those uh, clubs and orgs. But you obviously within our, our student government, you you haven't seen that same track record of. Or women pursuing elections, and I, I'm wondering as to why that is. Um, you, you kind of definitely 
described it when you mentioned that it's easier to pass it off to someone else and and kind of uh, showcase your own inadequacy is the wrong word, but self-belief um, of being inadequate to really take on that position uh, and rather just recommend someone else. But why is it that something like student government and representing a student body has been something where we haven't had the same track record? See, but I think it's it's larger. So okay. it's not it's not just student government in high school or college. It's really everything. And mm. there it's I think so much it's how do we perceive uh the person who's supposed to be in these roles. So if you look at Congress and you're trying to figure out if you come from outer space, you're like, well, what is Congress? Well, <laughs> it's clearly it is a place that almost entirely is you need to be male. You need to probably have white hair or no hair, um, and you need to be um, you need to be sort of over a certain age. Right. right. So, it is uh, a very monolithic leadership in Congress, and then you know, have you ever seen those presidential placemats that have the oh, pictures the, of all the presidents? Yes. I mean, it is so crazy that it, they just they can all look exactly the same, and I do think that we internalize that. Uh, we internalize the fact that there are not that many people who we see in those positions. And so we don't think of ourselves being in those positions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I get frustrated and I think things are moving too slowly. And I want, why don't we have a, a woman president? Why, why does the number of women in the House and Senate creep up so incredibly slowly? But, you know, for the history of the world, men have been the dominant leaders, the right. people at the top of power. And we actually have done kind of a remarkable job in not that long a time in changing that or starting to change that. Mm -hmm. But we have a lot of work left and to do. Absolutely. And you also described a sort of learned behavior um, that I think you it probably starts much earlier than than we really expect. Um, and I noticed that in classrooms. And I think Mel can also speak to this where there is this odd phenomenon that you you see your male classmate or male peers who definitely speak up uh, more so than most of the the females in the class um and it's it's not even that it's it's more substance oriented it's just they're more comfortable raising their hand um how how is it that as as female peers that we can better support um other women in the class uh to to make sure that they you know learn a behavior that will then help them pursue positions like we're describing okay so I actually think about this all the time because I'm a naturally shy person. I'm, okay. I'm a total introvert mm -hmm. who likes being social but then needs to go hide away after that. <laughs> uh, de-stress. Yeah, to de-stress. So I have noticed that since law school was really where I noticed that, mm -hmm. where the men just – they would – it was halfway through law school where I realized they don't have the right answer. They're not raising their hand because <laughs> they have it. They just – don't care. Like exactly. They, right. And so ever since then, I have been challenging myself to speak up and it is so hard for me. So the other day I'm at this meeting, mm -hmm. it's this, it's not even a, yeah, I guess it's a meeting. There are probably 35 people around this long, long, long boardroom table. Okay. And it's very formal and it's almost entirely, except for like four, um, it's, it's older men. And they're all in, they are all economists or historians. It was, um, anyway, it was the sort of thing actually that I thought, huh, 
what am I doing here? Like, why did they think that I should be included in this Mm. conversation? And so it's in situations like that where I have a talk with myself. I'm like, only men have spoken the whole time. They're dominating. You need to say something. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, but maybe I'll say something and they won't think that what I have to say contributes. So they'll be like, are you kidding? That's totally off topic. She doesn't know what she's talking about. So I make myself do it. And sometimes, honest to God, it's like about the sound of your voice. That's the only thing that matters is you're, you are sitting up straight. You are telling, you know, something to this, this table with authority. And sometimes it doesn't even matter what you're saying. Just that like, Oh, did you hear her? Yeah. She sounded good. It's just, it's so, it's was such a revelation to me. And I have to tell you, it doesn't get any easier, except that I know that most times it's going to be a positive reaction. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I think that that's what it is. It's challenging ourselves, but then it's also, if you guys are in class together, when she says something that you like, actually saying, you did a really good job. Or there was a great article in the Washington Post, um, right at the end of the Obama administration about how women there, you know, there weren't even that many women in, in during Obama and how in meetings, you know, Claire would speak up and say, I think we should do this. And then, you know, Susan would say, you know, I really like what Claire said. So just do you remember that person, reading that, right? Didn't you think that was so brilliant? Fascinating. And it's such a little thing to do, but just it's the fact that we can publicly support each other and then it, it helps everybody. This really makes me think about discussions we've been having in a history class of mine Mm -hmm. about structures versus agency and whether you're held back or hampered by the structures around you versus using your agency to kind of overcome that. But the question that sticks in my mind is, why should we have to? Why is it our job? And I hear you (laughs) with all of these great ideas. And I keep thinking, how do you stop yourself from being resentful that you have to be the one to start running start or Shivani should be the one to start an organization at her like defense (laughs) industry job I I mean how do you do all these hyper-conscious things and just keep on top of all of these little issues that turn into starting your own foundation and Mm -hmm. non-profit organization without getting resentful that you have to be the one to do it I think that's an excellent question but I mean I think it's again it's how you frame it so I consider myself a disruptor in, and that's such an overused term, but but somebody who is saying this the structure is not the way I like it to be, and I want to figure out how to turn it on its head. And I think I don't have that um, presumption that the structure is supposed to serve me. I I feel like all of us right now. I mean, even just something, Shivani, you starting that group at your at your job because mm-hmm. it doesn't exist. All of those little acts, it's. It's so funny. Like it's not. It's not like we're starting a rebellion, but we are all doing something to just to say, I want to disrupt the way things have been going because it doesn't serve women. And to a larger point, it doesn't serve society to have our only leaders be men. I mean, we've seen this. Women add a tremendous amount to um, collaboration, to actually sponsoring more bills, to getting more things passed, to um, actually raising profits at companies where they are in leadership. So, I mean, we have so much to offer and we are in the revolutionary phase where we can't say, are you kidding me? You should be serving me. We have to, you know, you pour that anger into, I am going to change this because, you know, that, that's, that's my best use. And I, I think it is definitely time for that rebellion, is it not? 
Um, so unfortunately, uh, we are nearing the end of our interview. Um, and so the last question we like to ask all of our guests, which we really have talked about um, quite a lot in this interview, uh-huh. is asking you to define your own personal definition of success. Um, and if you were to advise college students or students my age on how to define success for themselves, how would you do so? Well, I mean, um, I think the first thing is if you become successful based on something that you're not, or if you have to do things that make you really uncomfortable to reach that success, not uncomfortable, like I'm scared to speak out in public, but like something that goes against your moral code or, mm-hmm. or the way you want to live your life, that's not sustainable. And so I think that I really define success as being who you are, figuring out who you are, being who you are, and then continuing to lead that way. Because that can be really hard once you get to a certain position to remember, you know, how you got there and to remain humble and realize you're in that position to help other people gain power, not to have the power yourself, which is something you know, throughout history, I think most people have, have relished having that power. And one thing that is said about women frequently is that we will, um, gain power to give power. Absolutely. That is, that's my definition of success. That's incredible. So that's actually a a first time we've heard something along those lines, which is really refreshing. Thank you. Good. I'm glad. (laughs) So unfortunately that is all the time we have for today. Thank you again for joining us and to all our listeners, remember to stay hungry.